Hi everyone, before we get started with today's episode, I just want to let you all know that today's episode has major spoilers for the following films, Gladiator, A Beautiful Mind, Chicago, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Million Dollar Baby, Crash, The Departed, No Country for Old Men, Slumdog Millionaire, The Hurt Locker, The King's Speech, The Artist, Argo, 12 Years a Slave, Birdman, Spotlight, Moonlight, The Shape of Water, Green Book, and Parasite. So if you have not seen these films and you want to watch them spoiler free, um, which I highly recommend because some of these films are have like big plot twists or whatever, um, maybe just skip this episode or uh, when I'm talking about the film, maybe skip over that part. Um, but if you have seen the films, which I hope you have because they're all Best Picture winners, um, then enjoy the episode. But I just want to give that little warning. So hope you enjoy. Hello everyone, welcome back to Messy Notebook Paper, and um, today's episode I'm super excited for because, well, one, I haven't been recording episodes for like a month, and so this is like my grand return to um, the realm of podcasts, I guess. But um, today's episode, if you couldn't tell from the warning, is the much-awaited and much-anticipated, in my opinion, um, my ranking, well, my subjective ranking of the Best Picture winners from 2000 to 2020. Now, if you didn't know, um, which I don't think I've mentioned this before, but for my research class, which is like an AP research class, we had to pick a um, research topic at the beginning of the year. We had to form a question, do a literature review, which is like where we look at all these different sources and we kind of like come up with like where we want the research to go. And then we come up with a methodology and the way we're going to like test the research we've done. So basically my research question here, wait, let me pull it up because I do have it written down. I have my iPad pulled up just so I can have some sort of frame of reference because I do have like a lot of my thoughts written down on here. So my research question is to what extent do the diversity standards which were put in place because of Oscar So White and Parasite's Best Picture win solve the lack of representation problem in the past 20 Best Picture winners? Now that is a very long question so why don't we break that down. Okay so um my original thought process was I wanted to look at how Parasite, because it is the first foreign language film to win Best Picture, and I know technically the category is international film, but, um, and that's, like, more politically correct, I know that, and it's a good reason they changed it, but for, like, at least my reasoning, I'm calling it foreign language film, it just, it sounds, it works better with my, uh, paper, international film, like, Best International, like, it, it's a little too, like, okay, I'm just gonna stop saying this because it's, it's starting to get a little bad. Okay, so um, Parasite was the first foreign language film to win Best Picture at the Oscars at one most recently last year. Um, and we might actually see, well, I don't, I didn't want to talk about this till the end, but like the Oscar nominations have not been released yet for this year. And to be honest, I have not seen a lot of the films. The only one I'm really betting on is Emma winning Best Costume Design because like, just please, just please give me something. Like, I think... No, I, I literally have not seen any of the films. I, I've seen a lot more of the Golden Globe ones, but the Golden Globe ones are a mess. I'm not just not going to talk about that. So this year, definitely, I'm going to be talk, I'm going to be looking at the diversity with the Oscars. And I think there's one, there's a film called Minari. Um, and I think that, I hope that one gets stomped for Best Picture. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard it's really good and I want to watch it. Um, the only two I'm like really interested in watching is that one and the Judas and the Black Messiah movie, only because I love Daniel Kaluuya and... Um, like, he'd stand, I feel like those are my guys, so, um, 
Yeah, just a lot of other films which just not caught my attention. I don't know. It's just kind of like a blah year. I did want to watch Promising Young Woman, but then I learned, and this is a spoiler, so if you want to see the movie, skip like 15 seconds ahead. Um, so the trailer makes it seem like she kills all the guys who like try to rape her, but they she doesn't. She just kind of tricks them, which is just really disappointing. So um, now you're back. So no more spoilers for um, Promising Young Woman anymore. Okay. So because Parasite was the first foreign language film to win Best Picture after like, what, 93 years? We love that. Um... I wanted to see how possibly that could affect things, but because it had just one best picture, I wasn't going to be able to see, like, the effects on it, and, like, it was, it would be very hard to, like, commit, do any research on it. I mean, I probably could put together a lit review about, like, because I did find a few articles that were, like, it's going to normalize subtitles, and, like, we're going to start looking at more, um, more, like, international films and stuff like that, like, to consider them for this, like, top prize, which is basically what Bong Joon-ho talked about in his, um, acceptance speech at the Oscars, which, like, I love that man, he's great, um, but because it was the first, like, that, I just decided to change my whole thought process with that, because a few weeks in, like, a few weeks into school, which I think, like, around September 8th, the Academy made an announcement about diversity standards, um, which Best Picture hopefuls are going to have to abide by starting in 2024, which, like, no one's gonna be watching the Oscars at that point, because, like, they're just a dying age, and we're kind of over the need for award shows, but people who say that, like, I just said it, but people who say that still get so pissed when the nominations come out, so I just, I think it's very funny. Um, they announced the diversity standards on September 8th, and they are basically, I, I've looked at the document so many times, I'm probably able to tell you, like, what the, the, the bread and bones of it are. Is that a saying? Bread and bones? Okay, we're just gonna say the bones of the piece. So, the diversity standards, um, announced by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences are basically to help improve on-screen and off-screen diversity in both the main cast, the crew, the production company, and the marketing team. So, um, the diversity standards are made up, are made up of four standards, standards, standards A, B, C, D, and each of them have uh, anywhere between one to three subheadings. And the film, um, in order to earn a Best Picture nomination starting in 2024, and I want to emphasize that is not going into, it's not going to go into effect this year. I don't know why it, it can't because they just made it i mean i guess that makes sense because a lot of films are in production and like maybe like people will be rushing around to add diversity which like i don't know in my opinion the diversity always should have been there but you know hollywood's kind of run by white men so that's unfortunate but anyway so the diversity standards like i said are made before standards and the film only has to pass two out of the four um to win so with standard a it is made up of three subheadings where the film only has to pass one in order to pass that overall standard it's very like intricate so i'm going to try to explain this the best i can so standard a is all about on-screen representation in the film which is what i'm going to be focusing on in my research and i have um and it's basically it's it was the easiest one i could gauge and determine from watching the films which is was my research which was draining let me tell you i had to watch 20 films in, like the span of like two months and it was just it was a lot so um standard a um has three subheadings subheading one is that the lead or su significant supporting actor has to be from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group now the academy goes into specifics about the underrepresented racial or ethnic groups but they're basically just anyone who's not caucasian so like native americans latinx uh black people um what else is on there like Pacific Islanders, just um, anyone who is just, oh, Asian American, stuff like that. Like anyone who is not Caucasian fits that quota, but it has to be the actor. It has to be a lead or significant supporting character, which I will talk about later. 
Then um, standard A2 is that 30% of the uh, supporting or uh, minor, minor, minor cast um, has to be made up of two of the um, underrepresented groups and the underrepresented groups include the racial or ethnic groups, women, members of the LGBTQ community, or people with disabilities. And those again are the actors. This is also hard to gauge because I didn't have like a full list of all the like significant I mean supporting or minor characters so the, you'll see like some of the films that you might think I passed those just don't and it was really difficult because I'd have to I'd be like well like when I watched Slug Dog Millionaire that whole cast is um that whole cast is Indian and I was like oh well this should obviously pass standard day too but there aren't like there's like one woman in the whole cast it just does not it probably does looking back but just it doesn't really so all right and then standard a3 which is probably the easiest out of the whole all three of them to pass um the main storyline of the film has to involve a um member from an underrepresented group so like for instance um if get out had one best picture that definitely would pass that standard because it follows a black man and his journey to get out of that racist white house so basically just the main character of the film or the main focus of the film has to be on like person of color a woman uh someone from the lgbtq community or someone with a disability and the disability one is where some of these films that are all about white people pass so um standard a is what i was really focusing on with my research and basically um depending on like when the film came out it either passes one two or all three subheadings but again i'm not looking at all the diversity centers of my research so um i can't tell you if I mean, I can kind of because I was still looking at it, but overall in my paper, you won't be able to see, like, if all the films pass the diversity standards, which they do. They all pass because the diversity standards are so broad. You can't tell already by just, like, what I told you about standard A. Yeah, it's crazy. So in order to pass standard A, the film had to have passed one of the three subheadings. It can pass more, obviously, but it has to pass at least one. Okay. Standard B is about improving the um, diversity behind the camera with the crew. So, um... Uh, the subheading b1 is about it like it has to have you have, the film has to have at least two crew members who are from the underrepresented groups and one must be from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group so like the director's black the writer's black um the costume designer's a woman like there you go you got it so it's kind of like the subheading a2 where it has to have two from two different underrepresented groups um Standard B2 is six of the other technical positions like gaffers, script supervisors, where they're not like the head of the the head of the um department, have to be from underrepresented racial groups, and most of the films did not pass that, but okay. Um and then the last one is 30% of the crew has to be from under has to be made up of underrepresented groups. Pretty easy. I mean, women are included there, so most of them have women working on it in the very like like fem like female driven roles so like costume designer makeup hair casting casting is very female-led i've learned okay then um so for that one similarly um only one of one of only my god <laughs> the film only has to pass one of the three subheadings to pass standard b so if you're watching a film and the film stars a black guy and then the director's black and the costume desires a woman then it has passed the diversity standards and it can get a best picture nomination so yeah they're very broad all right um and then c and d is where it gets a little messy because the film can totally be about white people and um the white crew and everything but c and d are pretty easy to pass so um standard c is all about i think the production company and so um 
oh, let me think. What was that one about? Okay, I'm going to pull up the picture I have because I that one I was not looking at. Um, okay, so um, standard C has two subheadings and the film must pass both of them. Uh, standard C1 is that the distribution or financing company has paid internships for uh, members of the underrepresented groups. So like if the film is made by 20th Century Fox, they have internships. Like a lot of the production companies that are very like mainstream have those internships. And then C2 is the film production distribution or financing company offers training or work opportunities for skill development to members of underrepresented groups. Again, very easy to pass. The film has to pass both standards C1 and C2 in order to pass the standard C. So like, yeah. Um, and then D1 only has one, I mean, the standard D only has one subheading. The film has to pass in order to pass standard D. And it says the studio or film company has multiple in-house senior executives from underrepresented groups, including racial or ethnic groups. Now, with this one, a few of the films that have won Best Picture in the past, specifically The King's Speech and The Artist, um, were made by the Weinstein Corporation. And if you don't know, the Weinstein Corporation is no longer existing. So it obviously didn't pass those last few. But again, most of the very general, like, production companies pass those. So, I'm so now that you all understand the, um, well, hopefully understand the diversity standards. Okay, so let's look at Oscar So White, which was created in 2015 in response to the year Birdman won Best Picture. That year, um, all 20 Oscar acting nominee nomination acting nominees were white, causing everyone on Twitter, including April Rain, who created Oscar So White, and it's a hashtag, basically saying that, like, the Academy has overlooked people of color in all the different, not just the acting categories, all the other categories, um, specifically that year, and, um, you know, in the past, because we've had, we've struggled with, uh, diversity before, and then, so... That in 2015 it was a problem, and then in 2016, the following year, when Spotlight won Best Picture, it was also a problem because again, all the 20 acting nominees were white. So, um, yeah, and then Oscar So White became popular again that year, and the Academy kind of took notice. And um, the following year, Moonlight won, and then afterwards, after the popularity of Oscar So White, the films that have won Best Picture have continued to be very diverse. Um, not necessarily starring black people, but like you know, it's pretty, pretty good. You'll see. Um, so then saw the lack of representation. Well, we already talked about Parasite Best Picture win, which it just won. And, um, similarly, um, only one, one of the people nominated for acting awards, Cynthia Revo, was a person of color. So all of them are white. Um, uh, I also want to look at like how, like, maybe there's a problem with black people getting recognized for starring roles because they've been consistently given supporting roles. So, but I couldn't find any papers about that, so that's just something to note. Um, solve the lack of representation problem in the past 20 Best Picture winners. So I picked the past 20 Best Picture winners from Gladiator in 2000 to Parasite in 2020. And um, I'm going to be referring to the film both when it came out and the year it won Best Picture. So the year it came out, like, Parasite came out in 20, 2019, but won in 2020. It's a very confusing system, so I'll try to keep you all in the loop with that. Um, so I decided to pick the last 20 years of Best Picture winners just because, um, the internet and, um, social media has become so much more popular, allowing people to call out to the film industry, and I do have a source to support that in my paper, fortunately, and then I also referred April Rain, who created Oscar So White with that, and then solve the lack of representation problem, I wanted to see, by looking at these past films, if they would pass the on-screen representation standards with the diversity standards, 
that was very confusing. Okay, so basically, by watching the films, I wanted to see if they would pass the three subheadings of Standard A, which is about on-screen representation, to prove there was ever a problem with on-screen representation in the first place, how Oscar So White called it out, and then how hopefully Parasite's Best Picture win and the diversity standards are going to continue to improve those problems. But that's not what we're here for today. I may have spent a whole 15 minutes talking about it, but no, no, no. We're going to spend today talking about these films and um, yeah. Okay, so I think just the way I have my like little PowerPoint set up with all my thoughts, the films are in um, chronological order. I did not watch them that way. Let me pull up my letterbox and show you which order I watched them in because I feel like that's that's going to help. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, see, there's Minari. I want to watch that so bad. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Hi, everyone. I'm editing this episode right now, and I just wanted to come in and apologize for um, what I'm about to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about <laughs> The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and I make the mistake of referring to Gollum, the like Andy Serkis character, um, as Frodo, who was Elijah Wood's character. So that's just a mistake I've made, and I didn't want anyone to get upset at me, so... And we're back. Okay, sorry. Letterbox is always so weird. It won't let me, like, play music or anything when I'm on there. So before I... I'm going to do the order in which I watch the movies, my overall ranking, and then I'm going to go through in each individual film in chronological order. I think that's probably what I, the, the best thing I can do with this. So let me go to my photos, which wherever they are, I just... Oh, that's Pinterest. <laughs> okay, so the first film I watched was The King's Speech. Um, then I watched The Shape of Water, Slumdog Millionaire, uh, The Departed, A Beautiful Mind, Gladiator, The Artist, Green Book, Moonlight, Birdman, Chicago, No Country for Old Men, Parasite, Spotlight, The uh, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, 12 Years a Slave, The Hurt Locker, Argo, Million Dollar Baby, and Crash. So that's the order in which I watched them. I decided not to watch them in chronological order just because, like, not all the films were available on the same streaming platform, unfortunately. Um, and just, like, I had to borrow a lot from the library. So it was just really, like, what I was interested in. I mean, not a lot of these are comedies. I mean, technically Green Book was considered a comedy. You know, the film about race relations in the 60s. When, was, when did that film take place? 60s maybe I don't remember um so yeah so let's get into the ranking now this is based personally on my own opinions I can recognize that a lot of these films are objectively very good like they are well-made movies they all won best picture obviously I mean some of these are just not very good I don't really understand why they won but and then we will get into each individual slide where I recognize like what else was nominated that year um yeah Okay, <laughs> so at the bottom, at number 20, we have Crash. I hate that movie. It, he, it, we have beef. Okay, 19 is The Hurt Locker. Um, hate, did not like, so boring. 18, No Country for Old Men. Might have been one of the worst movies I've ever seen. 17, The Departed. One I can recognize is probably a good movie, but I just do not like it. Um, 16, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Again, I mean, I didn't watch the other two Lord of the Rings movies, and eventually I got to a point where I was so confused about what was going on, I just did not care anymore. 15 is Gladiator. Our skip, our, our DVD skipped around, so we didn't get to watch the whole thing. Um, it probably would not have been much higher. 
14, 12 Years a Slave, 13, Moonlight, another one I can recognize is very good, just not my thing, 12, Green Book, I feel like I am hate-criming by putting that over Moonlight, um, 11, A Beautiful Mind, 10, Slumdog Millionaire, 9, Million Dollar Baby, 8 is Birdman, 7, The King's Speech, 6, The Artist, 5, Argo, which is a great movie, 4, Spotlight, 3, Chicago, 2, The Shape of Water, and 1 is Parasite. Um, I mean, I'm kind of biased towards that because it was the whole reason I started this project. So yeah, that is my ranking. Um, I, it was pretty difficult because while I was watching the films, I would log them all on Letterboxd, but mo most of them got like 3.5 ratings. Um, I think Parasite was the only one that got five stars. Shape of Water, Chicago, Spotlight, Argo, and The Artist got four stars. The King's Speech, Birdman, Million Dollar Baby, and Slumdog Millionaire all got 3.5 stars. A Beautiful Mind and Green Book got three, Moonlight got two and a half, 12 Years a Slave and Gladiator got two, and then Lord of the Rings, The Departed, no, Lord of the Rings and The Departed got one star, and then No Country for All Men, The Hurt Locker and Crash got 0 0.5. I shouldn't even give in Crash any stars, because that's just not the vibe. Okay, so let's start with the first film, Gladiator. Um, This film follows Russell Crowe, and he plays Maximus, who was a general in the war, and then, um, due to some, like, very, like, misconception, basically, um, the, um, I was about to say emperor, but that's not right. Um, the, like, guy in charge of Rome, he has two kids. He has Joaquin Phoenix and Connie Nielsen. Joaquin Phoenix is an asshole. We don't like him. So he basically says to Maximus, hey, I want you to rule. And then, um, the dad dies. And Joaquin, well, Joaquin Phoenix kills the dad and basically says, like, oh, I'm gonna be not king, but, like, I'm gonna be the ruler, and they sell Maximus into slavery because they don't want him around and don't want him to snitch, <laughs> so Maximus is in slavery, his whole, his wife and son are killed, and then he basically has to fight as a gladiator, duh, the title of the movie, um, to get his revenge, I guess, I don't know, again, the DVD skipped around, so, like, that's not the film's fault, but just, like, I wasn't really engaged for the parts of the film that were not skipping so the the movie was released in 2000 and it won in 2001 it was directed by Ridley Scott and it stars Russell Crowe Joaquin Phoenix and Connie Nielsen um there's also one black character but that's he was like not a significant character um the other Oscar wins include best actor for Russell Crowe best costume design best sound and best visual effects I gave this movie two out of five stars for the following reasons it was boring and that's going to be a common trend in these films because they're all really boring. I mean, not all of them. Most of them are boring. Okay. The disc skipped around because it was a copy of a copy. So we missed crucial scenes, including the ending, which is not the film's fault. But again, the parts that I did see were boring. So <laughs> there were tons of historical inaccuracies according to my Latin teacher and they were also kind of took me out of the film. The direction and performances were nothing special. I mean, I have been Going, I've, I'm on film TikTok and I heard that Ridley Scott is just like no one's favorite director, which is fine. Um, I don't have anything super, I don't connect to him in any way. Um, Russell Crowe, it's a little weird that he won for this. That's, that's kind of weird. Um, the one thing I did say was good where the battle scenes were entertaining and well done. Um, sorry, I was just looking at my, my notes. Okay. The battle scenes were entertaining and well done. Those are the parts I've also seen on TV. So like the scene where he says, I'm Maximus, are you not entertained? Stuff like that. And then I've also seen the scene where Joaquin Phoenix is creepy towards his sister. So yay. Okay. Also nominated that year was Aaron Brockovich, Chalk, 
chocolate without an E. I don't know if you're supposed to say that a different way. Traffic and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. If Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon had won, this would be a totally different project because that would be the first foreign language film to win. Um, I think so. I'm pretty sure. All right. Um, I haven't seen the other um, films on this list and I feel like people really like Gladiator. So I guess it, it, it was the clear winner maybe. I don't know. I can't really say because I haven't seen the other films. I haven't really heard of them. So, okay. Um, and then to go back to the diversity standards, Gladiator passes zero of the three on-screen diversity standards. Everyone is white except for his friend, and the friend is not considered a significant supporting character because he's in, like, a few scenes. He doesn't really say much. But the film overall passes the diversity standards. I don't remember why. I don't have my other notes with me. I'm sure it's because of, like, the C&D, like, internships and stuff like that. Um, overall, I'm kind of, like blah about this movie if you like it that's fine it's just it was not for me um so yeah let's keep going <laughs> next is a beautiful mind also starring russell crowe um this film now okay this is a plot this is um i mean did gladiator i did my did my thing really have any like spoilers i don't know okay but this one i'm going to talk about spoilers for beautiful mind so skip skip till i'm not talking about beautiful mind anymore okay so, Beautiful Mind follows this mathematician named Russell Crowe. I mean, <laughs> named Russell Crowe. I can't believe I just said that so confidently. I don't remember his name. Do not remember his name. Um, What is his name in the movie? I don't remember. Okay. So, we have a Beautiful Mind, which is, stars Russell Crowe. I don't remember the character's name. Who knows? Okay. So, he, I think, is at Harvard or some fancy prep, like, fancy college, and he's there to do math, and he wants to have, like, a very, like, he wants to discover something, and he does. The first half of the film, I don't really remember, but basically, he is, like, he, um, his roommate is Paul Bettany, and he, like, he spends time with his roommate. His roommate has this, like, little cousin who's, like, really young, and then there's this um, government guy who's trying to get Russell Crowe to do all this, like, government spying and, like, stuff like that, but then, then, it's a plot twist, Russell Crowe has schizophrenia, and none of that was real, oh, let's go, okay, first off, I had seen parts of this film before and knew, I thought it was common knowledge that he has schizophrenia, I didn't know that it was a plot twist, so it was kind of like, I thought I was just sitting there watching and Paul Bettany shows up, who is like a part of his imagination. That was like, what's going on? I was very, like that just knowing that he has schizophrenia the whole time, I think was a fun little like game for me to play during the movie. But um, this movie was overall pretty good. Like I said, the first hour, which like, you know, he has schizophrenia. I mean, I knew he has schizophrenia, but hopefully when you're watching the movie, you don't. Um, It was kind of boring and I was kind of confused, but then once they find out he does have schizophrenia and Christopher Plummer shows up and helps him get medicine and Jennifer Connelly is his wife but also was his student it was a little weird um that part is really good like once he gets diagnosed and he kind of is like going back and forth between what's real and what's not it's that part's good I think that one's fine okay so this movie was released in 2001 and won the year later in 20 in 2021 2002 it was directed by Ron Howard and star stars Russell Crowe, Ed Harris, and Jennifer Conley, and also Paul Bettany, like I said. Jennifer Conley is the best part of this movie. She won for Best Supporting Actress, and yeah, she deserved it because it's, she's great. I love her. Um, so 
this I gave this movie three out of five stars um Jennifer Conley's the best part she's so gorgeous in this movie it is a little weird because he's like once he goes through school oh and Anthony raps in this movie off topic but Anthony raps in the movie um like Russell Crowe goes to school and then he gets a job as professor like it's all it, it jumps around a lot and then I think like after he becomes a professor um he like that's when they find out he's schizophrenia. I don't really remember. This movie is kind of forgettable, which, like, is fine. Um, so Jennifer Connelly is the best part of the movie. We love her here. Um, I like the schizophrenia was a plot twist. It is definitely an interesting choice. Is it kind of weird that Russell Crowe is the, act the actor playing him does not have schizophrenia? Is it weird that they kind of use that as, like, a twist? I don't know. It's like, it, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure if the whole mental illness thing is, like, handled properly. I can't speak on that because I don't have schizophrenia so um I did say it kind of feels like Oscar bait I mean the Oscars love a biopic and this is based on a true story and if this movie came out today Russell Crowe would win for this over Gladiator but that's just my opinion um this movie is very forgettable by the way it kind of feels like it doesn't feel like a lifetime movie like Crash does which I'll be talking about in a few minutes but just it feels a little like okay yeah it's a good movie but does it deserve best picture don't know um, there is a scene, I say, I call it the bathtub scene, that has me screaming. Basically about, like, I say a quarter, uh, hour and a half into the movie, um, Russell Crowe, after Russell Crowe's diagnosed with, um, schizophrenia, he decides to go off his meds because he can't be with his wife. He just, he feels very, like, detached from everything, so he decides to go off his meds and start seeing Paul Bettany again, and Paul, and he thinks Paul Bettany's gonna be watching the baby, which they, they, I mean, Jennifer Connelly just had a baby, so he puts... Puts the baby in the bath and thinks Paul Bettany's watching it. I should be laughing. This is not funny. Um, he puts the baby in the bath and thinks Paul Bettany's watching the baby, but Paul Bettany's not real. Um, and there's like a little shed at the back of his house where he thinks Ed Harris is gonna be, and he's like putting together all this government spying stuff, which he was doing earlier in the film. He's like kind of like he's going back to all his old habits, and basically, um, Jennifer Connelly comes home and she fought. No, I'm wrong. Okay, Russell Crowe doesn't go back to the little house. He's, like, hanging around the house and thinks Paul Bettany's watching the baby so he can do other shit. Um, and Jennifer Connelly is, like, doing laundry and she goes out to the, um, to the shed that Russell Crowe has been, like, putting. And he puts, he thinks there's conspiracies. So he puts all these, like, newspaper clippings together, but, like, none of it's, like, it's just, there's nothing there. Um, so Jennifer Connelly knows he's, like, re retracted back. So, like, relapse, relapse, that's the right word. So she runs back into the house, pulls the baby. Like, the baby is drowning in the bathtub. It's I was screaming. I was screaming because I didn't want the baby to die. She hoists the baby up and gives the best acting performance of her life. She's so good. So I'd, I'd say watch the movie just for her. I mean, she, like, breaks a mirror at one point. She freak she yells at Russell Crowe. It's, it's really good. Okay, so also nominated that year was Gosford Park, In the Bedroom, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and Moulin Rouge. Um, I haven't seen the other films, but if Beautiful Mind sounds like a film most likely to win an Oscar. Again, it's very, like, biopic, kind of, like, tells you your heartstrings, good performances. Um, and then I also said I haven't seen it, but Gosford Park literally sounds so good. It's like a murder mystery, British people. There's so many good people in it, so I definitely want to watch that. It's just not available anywhere. So... Maybe that should have won instead. <laughs> okay, so this film passes one out of the three on-screen diversity standards. This is actually one of the three movies I watched where a white, non-disabled actor plays a character with a disability. Russell Crowe plays the guy, I don't remember his name, with schizophrenia. And that's it's very common. There's three out of the 20 films that have this. So, yeah, that helps him 
past the diversity standards because it's A3 with the um, main storyline. Like, that's the main thing of the film. And it does overall pass the diversity standards, even though there's not a black person in sight. There's no people of color in this film. Jennifer Connelly's one of the, like, the only woman. The only woman and just a bunch of white. Okay. Next film is Chicago. Woo. Okay, if you weren't listening earlier when I said which order I was watching them in, basically I was watching, like, at one point, my teacher was really getting on my back about watching all these movies, which, like, I feel like she didn't really have to do because now I'm so ahead of the rest of the class, just because, like, I didn't have to do a survey or anything. Now, I'm not, like, complaining. I'm, I'm not going to be like, oh, I don't have any work to do, because I'm, that's fine. I don't need work to do. But, um, it's just, like, it's really funny because, like, I'm the only one, like, finishing stuff because I just had to watch these movies. So, yeah. So, the week I watched Chicago, I'd watched so many, like, male-driven movies, I don't remember which ones, but, like, the, I was just watching so many male-driven movies. So, like, Chicago was, Chicago was my saving grace. A movie musical about women killing their husbands? Yes, please. Okay, so Chicago is based on the musical, and it falls, follows Roxy Hart, and she basically is cheating on her husband, who is played by John C. Riley. I don't remember his name. Y'all, I'm not gonna remember any of their names, just going off the actors. Um, and basically, she kills her, she shoots... No, no, no. Okay, let me start over. She doesn't shoot her husband. She's in bed with this guy, and then she thinks the guy's gonna get her, like, famous, gonna be a famous singer. And the guy kind of backs out, out of it, and he's like, you're not gonna be starred. She shoots at him, and, um, she shoots at him out of self-defense. He dies, and, um, they basically try to trick the, um, police into thinking she killed him out of self-defense, but they take her in anyway. Um, there's a, that, there's a whole cast of characters, but she ends up working with Richard Gere, who is this lawyer. I think his name's Billy Flynn. And Billy Flynn's, like, really famous for getting these women who have killed their husbands, um, <laughs> like, out of jail and everything. So Roxy ends up getting out of jail, and she, her fame is kind of, like, very up and down. She also meets Velma Kelly, played by, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and her fame, like, she also killed her husband and her sister, because they were together, um, and she, her fame is also up and down. So, yeah, it's all about fame, and the music numbers are, musical numbers are great. I love it so much. It's really good. Um, so it was released in 2002, my birth year, and it won the following year in 2003. It was directed by Rob Marshall. Um, the, really the only flaw I have with this movie is the directing is, like, and camera work is a bit all over the place. It's not the best. Um, it stars Renee Zellweger, Richard Gere, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. In supporting roles are Tay Diggs, uh, Lucy Liu, uh, Queen Latifah, Christine Baranski, like, Christine Baranski, like, this whole film is just... If you haven't seen it and you love music, movie musicals, just go watch it. I don't know what you're waiting for. Um, so I gave this movie four out of five stars. Obviously, I love it so much. Okay. Um, I just said women. And I said, okay, this is right up my alley. I love mu- movie musicals. All the songs and performances were great. They were so good. There wasn't, it wasn't like, you know when you watch Mamma Mia and it's so good. And then Pierce Brosnan has the audacity to open his mouth and sing SOS. Like, this movie, I feel like everyone was just really good. Even Richard Gere, which, like, I didn't know he could sing. And Richard Gere's, like, kind of attractive. <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't, let me pull up a picture of him so I have a reference. Actually, it's going to show me the most ugly picture. I know it. I just know it. <sighs> okay. Oh, this is awkward. Okay. <laughs> let me pull up a picture of him. Oops. Oh, my God. What? Sorry, I'm, like, seeing stuff about SNL where Reagan John Page was hosting, and I am so excited to watch it. We're going to watch it later. Um, who am I looking at? Richard Gere. He was in, um, oh, see, they show me these ugly ass pictures. Now he looks old. Okay, fine. 
Wait, who's his wife? Sorry. Of course, his wife is 38 and he is 71. We're not going to talk about it. Okay, moving moving back to um the film. He looks good in this movie. Um, not now. Um, okay, so all the songs and performances were great. I feel like everyone was so good. Just like they, like they, it, they're all like very well-known people, but they still are so, they're very talented. So, um, I said the directing and camera work is a bit all over the place. There's not really like, it's very shaky, which I think may, might've been done intentionally, but just, it wasn't the best, which is fine. Um, I liked how the, they did the performances with Tay Diggs introducing everything. It was super stylized. I've not seen the onstage musical of Chicago. I'm assuming it's very similar to the movie. But basically, I, I didn't know Tay Diggs was playing this character. Tay Diggs is like an announcer, and he's like, Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we have Roxy Hart performing. Da-da-da. And then she performs the musical, and it's all in her, like, it's all, well, it's not all in her head, but like all, the, all these musical numbers are basically performances to prove that Roxy wants to be a star. So I love it so much. Okay. <laughs> um, also nominated that year was Gangs of New York, uh, the, T- the Hours, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and The Pianist. Um, duh, this should have won. Women deserve something because this is like, this movie, Million Dollar Baby, and Shape of Water, I think are the three, my phone keeps turning off, three female-led movies that were like, that one best picture. So, um, some, I said something that the pianist should have won, but we don't support Roman Polanski in this house. And he won best director that year. Disgusting. Roman Polanski is this old Hollywood director, I think. And he basically raped a lot of women. And yet he's like, not faced any charges. Um, by the way, Spike Lee has defended him. So if you need to know that information, there you go. Um, and they gave him best director and they plot. not the standing. Oh, uh, so, yeah, I think Chicago, I mean, it's a great film. If you film boys think it shouldn't have won, well, then you can leave. Um, it passes two out of the three on-screen diversity standards, obviously. Um, it has black people and women in, in um, supporting and minor roles, so that's why it passes A2. And then A3, it follows women. Yeah, okay, and it passes the diversity standards. Okay, Next film, um, we have The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and this movie is the third film in the Lord of the Rings franchise. Um, my, my, um, description of the film is gonna be confusing because it is three hours long with many storylines. The only one that really matters is that Elijah Wood and, um, Sean Astin are traveling to throw the ring, which is, like, Frodo's main, main thing, the ring. Um... (laughs) The Lord of the Rings. He is the Lord of the Rings, obviously. Okay. <laughs> He's trying to throw the ring in this fire so the villain can't get it, but the villain is an eye. Maybe. <laughs> um, and then Ian McKellen is Gandalf, and Viggo Mortensen is trying to get the crown back, and he loves this fairy lady played by Liv Tyler, and there's a war. I don't know. I wasn't really trying to understand the movie. I just need to watch it to see if there are black people and there's not. So, like, I I mean, there's, everyone's white and there's, like, three women. So, okay. <laughs> it was released in 2003 and won in 2004. It was directed by Peter Jackson and it stars Elijah Wood, Sean Astin, and Ian McKellen. Um, the other Oscar wins include Best Original Song, Best Visual Effects, Best Director for Jackson, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Production Design, Best Sound Mixing, Best Costume Design, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Film Editing. I gave it one out of five stars. <laughs> 
Listen, listen, I know, I know people like it. I know people like The Lord of the Rings, but it's probably just a mix of my personal taste. Um, I don't love fantasy movies that are three hours with many different plot lines. Um, I mean, like, and also, in my opinion, I don't know if these, like... It just does not feel like an Oscar movie to me. Oscar movies, I mean, my, the, like, my prototype for Oscar movies is, like, you know, drama, period drama, like, it's character study, like, those kind of things. I'm not expecting, like, superhero movies and fantasy, fan, fantasy stuff, so this just, this one feels kind of like an outlier. Um, I also haven't seen the other two movies, and I don't really want to, like, I literally have zero interest, so yeah, um... <laughs> The journey ends, thank fucking god. Okay. Um, so here are like my thoughts on it. Um I have one star. I gave one star for Samwise's gay crush on Frodo. If you don't I got into a fight with this with all my friends. If you don't think Samwise and Frodo are together, then you can just leave. When Samwise gets together with that lady at the end, like disgusting. I pretend it doesn't happen because Samwise and Frodo are so gay for each other. How can you not think so? Okay. Um, I got some, so confused that I stopped asking what was going on. We watched this with my dad, who had recently seen it. I think he fell asleep during it, which, like, my dad likes to say he likes movies when he clearly fell asleep during them. He like he says that he likes Solo, the Star Wars movie. He fell asleep during it. You can't say you like it then. Okay, so, yeah. Eventually, I just got so confused, I figured I'd just watch the film and just, you know, take it all in. Try to figure it out, but I also... It's like reading a fantasy book, and, like, the first 100 pages, it's all world-building and character introductions, and you just... You don't understand anything, but you're like, yeah, sure, I'll keep reading. Maybe I'll get there. That's me reading any Cassandra Clare book, and that's light fantasy. That's urban fantasy. It's not heavy fantasy. That's why I don't like heavy fantasy, because I'm just dumb. I still don't know, like, any of the government stuff, and I've read nine of the books, so... I've read nine. Oh my god, I have read nine of them. It's embarrassing. Okay. Um, I said very boring and too many side plots I didn't care about. I'm only here for Sean Astin. Sean Astin and like it switched between a lot of different side plots, and the only one I really cared about was Sean Astin, who I will love and protect for my whole life. He plays Samwise, he gets fat shamed many times in the film. It is 2003. I do not stand. He's not even that fat. I mean, he's not even fat. Like, it's not fair. Um, like, he just has, like, he's, he's a dad. Is he? <laughs> Maybe that old. Sean Astin, I love with my whole heart. He's so adorable. <laughs> I know everyone says he had to glow down, but, like, everyone watched Toy Soldiers. He is so hot in that movie. It's ridiculous. But the plot line with him and Elijah, Elijah Wood, where they're, I almost said Elijah Kelly, the black guy from Hairspray. They're, like, traveling with Frodo, and, like, Frodo's so annoying, and he doesn't die at the, well, he does die at the end, but he, do, he like, dies, comes back, and then dies again. It's weird. Uh, but he ends up throwing the ring in the fire or something. I don't remember. <laughs> so, yeah. That's the only plot line I really cared about. There's another plot line where they're fighting. They're traveling everywhere. There's different hobbits. I don't bro you're asking the wrong person i did like miranda odo's character um she's like the really only woman who gets a plot i mean Kate shuts there but she has two scenes same with Liv tyler who's like dying i don't know it doesn't make sense um she also gave up being a fairy and being immortal for vigo mortensen are you fucking kidding me get this out of here disgusting um so i'm glad miranda odo didn't die her whole thing was like she she liked i think she liked oh she liked vigo mortensen which like the movie's trying to convince me two women in this fantasy universe like him. Whatever. <laughs> so, she is, like, a princess or something, which, you know, I love my princess characters. Um, And she goes undercover to fight in the war, and she basically disguises herself as a man. And she doesn't die, so we love that. I love her. She also says, um, 
oh, what is the line she says? Like, they say, like, something like, you, you're going to kill me. And she says, I am no man. Like, it's so, so, like, she destroyed, she destroyed the patriarchy right there. Okay. So, also nominated that year was Lost in Translation, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, which has uh, Russell Crowe in it again, uh, Mystic River, and Seabiscuit. Um, does it deserve it? I say the nerds may think so, but I'm not impressed. And I haven't seen the other nominees, but I've heard good things about Lost in Translation. It was also made by Sofia Coppola. I feel like I'd really like it, even though Scarlett Johansson's in it. Um, that did win for Best Original Screenplay. So, to no one's surprise, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King passes zero out of the three of the on-screen diversity standards. Everyone is white, there are three women, it just does not pass any of them. It does pass the overall diversity standards, I think just with the crew and the production company. So, yeah. Okay, moving on. Sorry about that. That was probably my most controversial take. I remember posting, I think I posted it on my Instagram where I, like, I did, like, one out of five stars, and I said, they're gay together. Because I think Samwise says at one point, he's like... I, I love not he doesn't say I love you to Frodo but he's like you're the best friend I like always wish I had or something something dumb like that and I was like if you don't think they're gay then like you gotta leave and my one friend who like we made movies together and stuff like that he was like they're not gay they're not like they're the best friend they're best friends I was like you're wrong you're just wrong so but he was also trying to come at me with like oh you should watch the other movies and I was like no <laughs> he was like Tarantino so I don't know if I can trust his opinion <laughs> Okay, so the next movie is Million Dollar Baby. Um, this stars Clint Eastwood, and he directs it. Uh, Hilary Swank and Morgan Freeman. Um, Hilary Swank is, like, this young, um, no, she's not young. She's, like, in her 30s. But she's this young woman, and she wants to be a boxer. And she's kind of white trash. She doesn't really have a supportive family system. They're kind of mean to her, actually. Um, and she decides to go to Clint Eastwood's boxing gym or whatever, and that's where Morgan Freeman is the, uh, janitor. And, um... So basically, Clint Eastwood's like, I'm not giving you a chance. No, don't, I'm not giving, I'm not helping you, blah, 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 stuff like that. <laughs> and um, so Hilary Swank keeps working at it and they form like a relate, they don't form a relationship, they form a bond. And um, she ends up, she like becomes a really like famous boxer and her and Clint Eastwood have like a very good bond because Clint Eastwood just doesn't have like a, a family system either. Like his daughter doesn't talk to him. So it, I kind of like this movie now that I'm talking. They're just so supportive of each other. Um, and then, um, oh my gosh, I'm just like getting sidetracked. Okay. <sighs> Let me think. Okay. So, um, she becomes a really famous boxer, but at this match, and she tries to like go all, she not tries to go all the way, but she tries to go like become the world champion. And while she's fighting with this other girl, the other girl's really messy. The other girl like just does not, breaks all the rules and everything. She tries to like, when Hillary Swank's kind of, like, heading back to her corner, the other girl tries to punch her again, and that's just, like, against the rules. You can't do that. So, um, yeah, it's very messy. And then, um, the, when Hillary Swank's trying to head back to her corner, Clint has already put out the, um, the stool for her. The other boxer comes and hits her. Hillary Swank falls on the stool and breaks her neck, and she ends up going to a hospital. She's paralyzed from the neck down. And just, it's really sad. And she dies at the end. Like, Clint Eastwood comes in and kills her. And it's so, it's so sad. Like, it's so sad. Let me tell you right now. It's, it's so sad. You didn't want to see it, but it's so, it's so sad. Okay. So, Million Dollar Baby. 
That's so sad. Million Dollar Baby was released in 2004, and it won in 2005. It was directed by Clint Eastwood and stars Hilary Swank, Clint Eastwood, and Morgan Freeman, like I mentioned before. Um, other Oscar wins include Best Actress for Hilary Swank. She is so good. She has two Oscars, and she just doesn't do anything else anymore. Best Supporting Actor for Morgan Freeman. Does he deserve it? Probably not. Um, and Best Director for Clint Eastwood, so all three of them kind of get a little award there. I gave it 3.5 out of 5 stars. I couldn't feel, I really did like it, but um, there were just a few things that bothered me in the end. Um, sports movies just hit different, you know? I am a big fan of sports movies because they're all the same. It's like you got the, either the rookie or the like underdog crew or the underdog team. And they're, oh, there's always something about race relations in them, like Blindside, McFarland USA, which is the only thing I can think of right now. It's just, it's a heartwarming story about either like a crotchety old coach or like an old like an older coach and he's just kind of come and bring them all together so I love it okay <laughs> I said Hillary Swank is so amazing she's so good in this movie I love her so much um she's great um and she's kind of disappeared so I don't really know what happened also people are pissed that I was reading like reviews for both this movie and Boys Don't Cry which is the other one she won um the best actress for and apparently people thought Annette Benning should have won that year for that American Beauty movie. But, like, I haven't seen the movie and I don't really want to, just with everything Kevin Spacey has done. So, I don't know. I'm here to support Hilary Swank. Do you have a problem with it? <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm not a big fan of the narration and Morgan Freeman isn't given enough. Basically, Morgan Freeman is, like, this old... Could you say he's, like, a magical... What's... Mag... I don't want to say the, like... Uh, like he's like a magical black man character could you say that maybe maybe i don't know i'd have to do some research on that because that's basically a term spike lee coined which again as i mentioned a few slides ago we do not support him um spike lee um basically created this phrase called um like the magical black man um (laughs) that is like he's there to help the white characters which i think you could someone could argue that morgan freeman is basically in this movie he narrates a lot of the film and while he has a good voice for it the narration i feel is just always like a very um cheap way of storytelling but at the end you learn that he, um he was right like he was writing a letter to clint eastwood's daughter the whole time which like okay but i still don't like the narration and morgan freeman isn't given enough to do in the movie he's not even like her trainer he kind of helps her at the beginning but clint takes over that role eventually and he's just i don't know it's a little um i don't love it <laughs> he should have been given more to do and i don't think he maybe deserved best supporting actor for this um okay the ending is so sad and the writing does a great job of making callbacks to previous conversations this movie was written by paul haggis a man i will be talking about as we get to the next film um but basically um there's like i guess they must be staying over somewhere and clint eastwood and hillary swank talk about this dog that hillary swank had as a kid and um her dad ended up having to kill and um then when she's in the hospital and she's paralyzed from the neck down she's like clint i don't remember his name do do do, like do what my dad did with the dog and she's basically asking him to kill to she's asking him to kill her like so he comes in and like uses like lethal injection not lethal injection but like something to like that's gonna kill her which i don't know how he got away with that it's so it's so sad (laughs) cried okay so yeah, I feel like the, the very emotional ending definitely pulled at people's heartstrings, which is maybe why it won, but okay. Also nominated that year was The Aviator, Finding Neverland, Ray, and Sideways. I haven't seen any of those films. Could not tell you a thing about them. Um, 
so I said the Oscars love and under dog story and from Clint Eastwood who is like a Hollywood name so I feel like this is kind of destined to win out of the other nominees and I haven't seen other nominees and while this isn't a perfect film like I said I don't I find problem with the narration um and Morgan Freeman's character I think it deserved it it was really good also Anthony Mackie and Michael Pena are in this like huh what okay next movie Crash I hate this movie so much. I hate it so much. Oh, wait, I forgot to talk about the on-screen diversity standards. Sorry. Okay. Million Dollar Baby passes one out of three on-screen diversity standards. Um, wait, is that right? One out of three? Did I not consider Morgan Freeman a significant supporting character? Where's my picture? There it is. <laughs> okay. Um, there it is. Okay. No, it passes two. My PowerPoint is just messed up. Okay, let me fix that real quick. Two out of the three diversity standards. Okay. Because um, Morgan Freeman is, in, is considered a significant supporting uh, character, so it passes a one, and then a three, the movie follows a female lead, Hilary Swank, so we got it. Okay, next movie, Crash. Um, I hate this movie. I hate it so much. It's terrible. I hate it. Okay, um, I didn't really have high expectations because I was reading a lot of the letterbox reviews for a lot of the films before I will watch them, and everyone basically had the general consensus that this movie sucks ass. It sucks so bad. It's terrible. Okay, prepare for me to go on a rant. Um, okay. This movie is racism. Like, racism, the movie. Okay. So, um, Crash basically follows all these different characters of all these different races in L.A. L.A., one of the biggest cities. Um... <laughs> Um, and I can't even, like, say who the main character is. I guess you could say Don Cheadle, maybe, who is also a producer of the film. Don't understand. Okay, so, like, we got Don Cheadle and his girlfriend. They're, like, detectives. Um, Sandra Bullock and Brandon Fraser are married. They're, like, the racist white people. Ludacris is there. He's stealing cars. This one friend, his one friend is revealed to be, um, Don Cheadle's brother. Um, Michael Pena is there. He is a doorman. Not doorman. He fixes doors. And he actually accidentally screws it up for this one um, uh, Middle Eastern couple who also get made fun of because it's um, post, well, not made fun, they literally get hate crime because it's a post uh, 9-11 movie. <laughs> so bad. Um, there's also Ryan Philippi, who's a cop. He shoots uh, the one guy, black guy. Great. Um, then we've got Matt Dillon. Dillon? who I find the worst character in this movie, and I'm going to talk about it. Basically, um, <laughs> the writing is trash in this movie, and I'm going to talk about it more later, but Matt Dillon is introduced as, like, this racist cop. He's first shown in a scene with, um, Tandy Newton and, who can't act in this movie, Jesus Christ, and Taryn ha Terrence Howard, and they're a couple, and Terrence Howard's, like, this famous director, and um they're driving and it looks like tandy newton's giving him a blowjob and so matt dylan pulls them over for no reason even though he hasn't he thinks he sees it but it's just, it's just not him. so he pulls them over and he like pats him down with ryan philippi there and ryan philippi's like his assistant his like assistant cop i don't know what the description is and when he's patting down tandy newton he basically sexually assaults her so like it's terrible and um um so we're we're supposed to hate him right we're supposed to despise him we hate him um and then he gets the sympathy card. He gets the, like, they pull the sympathy card on him. His dad has, like, a, a urinary tract infection. Um, even though he's 
racist to multiple black people in the film were supposed to care for him because his dad is sick and he saves Tendy Newton from a fire and car accident. Actually, it's just a car accident, but the car catches on fire. He saves her from a car accident and then he saves Ludacris and the other guy. I'm pissed. I actually know that was Ryan Phillippe. Forget what I said. I'm pissed at this. Ugh, it's so bad. Okay, so Crash was released in 2005 and it won in 2006, unfortunately. Um, it was directed by Paul Haggis and written by him, a white man, because who knows racism better than a white man? Okay, the film stars Sandra Bullock, uh, Don Cheadle, and Matt Dillon, and Matt Dillon was nominated for um, Best Supporting Actor disgusting okay other oscar wins is best original screenplay and best film editing i gave this movie 0 0.5 out of five stars i should have given it given it zero out of five stars because i hate it all right so after i watched this movie i kind of left it being like okay that was trash i think that was one of the the, the worst movie i've ever seen um and then my dad had to inform me that it won best original screenplay how is that possible? How does that make any sense in the context of anything? How? How, how, how did it win Best Original Screenplay? Because this movie sucks. And the main flaw with the movie is the writing. Okay, so I said that I hate this movie. It's like a Lifetime movie. It literally looks like a Lifetime movie. It's very poorly made. Um, it, it was made like on a very small budget, which is weird considering how many famous people are in it. Like the, the list of main actors at the beginning just keeps going on and on and on. The writing is terrible, full of racial slurs, poorly written, and ethically terrible characters. Yeah, and there's no plot to speak of. Also, why is this written by a white man? Damn, I came at them. Okay, so basically, like I said before, there's a lot of people in it, and there's a lot of different storylines. And there's really no plot to speak of. It's just them living through one day in L.A. And all their stories overlap when L.A. is the biggest city. How do they all know each other? This makes no sense at all. It was I was rolling my eyes so hard. There's a scene. I think Don Cheadle's mom is in the hospital. And the daughter of this, the Middle Eastern couple walks through. Are you No. I refuse to believe that everyone in L.A. in this movie just overlap. I, I refuse to believe that they all exist together. I refuse. <sighs> hate this movie okay basically my problem with the writing other than matt dylan's character which i think is like it's so obviously written by a white man that the that the racist white cop is get given a redemption arc it's mm, hate it okay so basically the writing's terrible it's all very um tell don't show um basically ludicrous who i think is is that a rapper um ludicrous as like very like towards the beginning of the movie like it must be like five minutes in he's basically talking about how like black people are treated differently and like if a white lady sees a black couple uh, not a black person walking towards them they're gonna like grab their purse and stuff like that um and then he literally steal, turns her right around and steals sandra bullock's car <laughs> if this movie wanted to defy racism and like say like oh racism's bad period then why make the black people the robbers that's just encouraging racial stereotypes I don't, I don't understand, I don't understand this movie. So yeah, everything is so, like, every conversation about race, which is basically the whole movie, is so in your face, and so, like, it's so bare bones. It makes it, it makes, um, Green Book look like a freaking, 
masterpiece with race relations because this movie's terrible. You also don't get to know any of the characters, and they're all terrible people. There was not a single character I liked except for Michael Pena's character. Um, and I just love Michael Pena. So every character is terrible. If uh, you aren't convinced with the racist cop who gets a um, redemption arc, Don Cheadle, I don't even remember in this movie, Sandra Bullock is racist along with her husband who is trying to look good in ter- by doing like different performative um, activism stuff. Uh, let me see who else is there. Uh, Ryan Phillippe shoots a black guy even though we were, we were supposed to think he was a good cop, which are all cops any good. Um, Matt Dillon gets his redemption arc, hate him. Uh, Terrence Howard, again, don't remember him and his wife fight. Tandy Newton can't act for shit, so it's really bad. But like every storyline hops around so often that you don't really get to grasp any of the characters or anything they're doing so everyone kind of gets like a limit of like 15 minutes of screen time and it's just it's a mess this movie is very messy and I hate it (laughs) um the only part I liked was the scene with Michael Pena and his daughter basically he gets home and they have moved to a new neighborhood and his daughter's hiding under her bed because she heard like shooting or something again um Again, encouraging racial stereotypes. Um, and he basically has this really sweet conversation with his daughter, and he gives her this, like, invisible cloak that's going to protect her. But that leads to another terrible scene in the movie. So Michael Pena is this, like, he fixes doors for a living. He fixes, like, locks. And um, he actually is shown in the first scene at Sandra Bullock's house fixing her a lock, and she is super racist that she doesn't trust him, and it's terrible. Um, and Michael Pena goes to fix the door, at the um uh middle eastern couples store because they do get like they get okay so he fixes the door but the door is like shitty so it's not really his fault he just tries to fix the lock the the guy gets really mad at him um and then the the store gets attacked so the saudi not the saudi arabia the middle eastern guy basically blames michael pena for the break-in and goes in and tries to shoot him are we supposed to understand why no um and when he goes to shoot michael pena the daughter comes in and like jumps in and you think you think they have just shot the daughter, which really pissed me off. You think they shot the daughter, but then she's like, oh, my cloak protected me. Bullshit. Bullshit. I mean, you do realize that the daughter of the Middle Eastern guy brought bought, like, blanks, which I guess is... What are blanks? Hold on. We're going to stop for a moment. Boop, boop, boop. Oh, now my... There we go. Blanks. Gone. Okay. Blanks. Oh, I should have. Okay. It's a firearm cartridge that generates a muzzle flash and explosive sound like any normal gunshots, and the firearm experiences a recoil capable of cycling its action without shooting a projectile, bullet, or shot. So it sounds like they've shot the kid, the daughter. But um, he hasn't because the, the the daughter of the Middle Eastern couple um, bought, like, blanks. That, that was the first scene in the movie. They were buying a gun. Um, she bought blanks, so there's no bullet or anything. It just sounds like there was a shot, which I guess... Well, okay, whatever. But they think... They make it look like... Okay, first off, Michael Pena's reaction is so funny. He's like, no! And he's, like, holding his daughter... His daughter technically just got shot. It's just... It, it was very funny. Um, <laughs> his acting... Because the acting is laughably bad in this movie. It's so terrible. Um, and then, um, yeah. So, you th- it, it's not explained right away that there was a blank. So, you're like, how did, you're like, how did she survive? It's so stupid. The movie can't get to anything. So, um, also nominated that year was Brokeback Mountain, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck, and Munich. 
And did the movie deserve, did Crash deserve to win? That's a no from me. That's a no from me. <laughs> uh, I have seen parts of Capote. We watched it for my English class when we were reading, um, what's that? Oh, no, In Cold Blood. And I thought Philip Seymour Hoffman did a good job. I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not sure if I would say the rest of the movie deserved it. Um, Brokeback Mountain, however, should have won. The Academy is homophobic. And I was actually reading up on Crash. And because Crash is so, like, racism from a white person, like, the discussions of race relations from a white person, it made the Academy feel a bit more comfortable letting it win. Um, but yeah, they were still, like, super homophobic. And that's just very rude. Okay. <laughs> so Crash actually passes three out of the three on-screen diversity standards, and it passes the overall diversity standards, even though it's done by a white guy. So, like, see, like, they got great on-screen diversity, but the whole crew and, like, the director and writer is white, so, like, we can't really win with any of these. Okay. Okay, next film is The Departed, and it was a Martin Scorsese, it's a Martin Scorsese movie. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, and unfortunately Mark Wahlberg. Um, uh, this plot, the plot of the movie was confusing, let me say that. Um, I think, basically, Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio are both cops. Well, no, let me start over. Okay, Jack Nicholson's like the leader of this gang in New York, and Matt Damon has joined the gang and decides to join the um, police force, but he's still working with Jack Nicholson, so he's a spy with the police force, and then Leonardo DiCaprio is a, um, is a police, is a police detective going to infiltrate the, (laughs) he's like, and then he gets to work with Jack Nicholson, does that make sense? So, Matt Damon's working with Jack Nicholson, but with the police, um, Leonardo DiCaprio is with the police, but working with Jack Nicholson. So they're like a spy. Okay. It's a fine, it's a fine story, but the movie was released in 2006 and it won in 2007. Martin Scorsese is the director and it stars Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Matt Damon. Um, other Oscar wins are Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Film Editing, and Best Director for Scorsese. I gave it one out of five stars. I was bored. I was confused. There's too many racial slurs and just slurs in general in the script. Um, there's no main supporting female characters um, of Ventessa Farmiga. I think that's her name. Uh, no, it's Vera Farmiga. Sorry. And she's just used for sex appeal, really. So, okay. My first note is, ew, men. Very boring, and Nicholas's character was a creep. And I feel like Jack Nicholson kind of always just plays a creep. I haven't seen many movies with him. But, um, yeah, he's a creep in this movie. Okay. I do not appreciate the slurs in the script. Everyone is getting cancelled on Twitter. Um, they use many, um, derogatory, uh, they use many slurs against Chinese people. Um, they say queers and the F slur many times. Um, it's just, I think, is, is it written by Martin Scorsese? Okay, doesn't matter. Probably the writer's white guy, most likely. Um, did not love this movie. It was too long and too confusing. I think it was almost two and a half hours. I just did not like it. And I understand that it's probably a very well-made movie. Um, but I just don't like it. Okay. Um, the performances were fine. I mean, I, like I said, Jack Nicholson was kind of a creep. Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt, and Matt Damon were fine. It was fine. Okay. The performance. And there were some cool direct directional choices. I think Martin Scorsese was a fine director. I mean, I act like he's dead. Because um, I think his direction is fine in this movie. There were some cool choices. Okay. Also nominated this year was Babel, Letters from Iwo Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen. 
Um, and I said, I can see the appeal for male white Academy voters and at least Scorsese is happy. Um, and then in terms of like what else was nominated, Letters from Iwo Jima is a war drama. The Queen is a period piece. And then Babel was like a political thriller. And Little Miss Sunshine was kind of just a weird family drama. So I thought, I think The Departed was kind of meant to win. And like I said, there was an appeal with um, white male voters. I mean, come on, this is like right up their alley. So yeah, um, this film passes zero of the three zero out of the three on-screen diversity standards like I said they're all white there's only one black guy in the cast Anthony Anderson and he's such a small part that he isn't even considered like a significant supporting character but it overall passes the diversity standards I think with the um production company and um the marketing team so I feel really bad because like I did not like this movie after watching it I was very mad about it but I don't really have much to say okay I do have a lot to say about the next one though I'm gonna take a drink. the next film is No Country for Old Men and this movie follows um, with Josh Brolin, and he is, like, this guy living in the middle of nowhere with his wife, who I love his wife. Um, and he one day finds this, um, like, this, like, group of people who are all kind of camping. I don't know where it's supposed to be set, but they're, like, kind of camping somewhere. And they all get, like, shot down. And there were, like, bricks of heroin and cocaine in the back of the truck. So he's like, hey, I might as well get some money. And so he tries to take all the stuff with him and the suitcase of cash with him. Like, he tries to leave and so he can keep his wife safe. But um, there's this serial killer out looking for him and the money, um, played by Javier, Bar Javier Bartem. But then, so, like, it's, uh, like, Josh Brolin has the suitcase. He's running from Javier Bartem. And then we got Tommy Lee Jones, who's the, like, local police chief, sheriff kind of thing. And he's chasing after both of them because he doesn't want Josh Brolin to get hurt. So it's a very much cat and mouse kind of thing, which I think is what the back of the DVD says. Um, I also hated this movie. Coincidence that's also a male-led drama? Maybe. But it's just not for me. Okay, so No Country for Old Men was released in 2007, and it won in 2008. It was directed by Joel and Ethan Coen, the, the Coen brothers, basically. Um, it stars Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bartem, and Josh Brolin. Um, other Oscar wins include Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor for Bardem, and the Best Director for the Coen brothers. I gave this 0, 0 0.5 out of 5 stars. Basically, um, if... Um, if Crash had a, um, tell-don't-show problem, this movie has a show-don't-tell problem, and usually that's not a problem, but I was so confused with this movie because they just would not tell me anything. Basically, the first half hour is, like, Javier Bartem killing people, Josh Boland finding the money and running away, and I was like, how do they all connect? The movie is just kind of a slow-paced thriller, and it really pisses me off that there's no music behind any of the, like, very, like, intense chase scenes like there's a scene I think where they're like in a on a very like heavily parked road so there's a lot of cars and like um Josh Brolin's like hiding behind a truck and we see Javier Bar Javier Bardem and there's no music behind anything the movie's just such a slow quiet action it's just it's frustrating okay so I said there's some good cinematography because I think it's like it might be said like Arizona or New Mexico or something um and there's a lot of like very like pretty like shots of the nature so that's good and I liked Kelly McDonald she's actually an Anna Karenna which I knew I recognized her for somewhere she's so pretty and she plays Josh Brolin's wife and he, she's in the movie a lot more than I thought she would be so that's great okay <laughs> the movie's very boring and it never told me what was going on that's embarrassing okay 
So I was like, I think it was like 45 minutes in. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, I went, I turned to my mom and I, she wasn't watching with me, but I was like, mom, I don't know what's going on. Like, there's nothing going, like, there's nothing going on. All right. So there's no music to speak of. All the action scenes have no suspense because there's no music. I consider music to be a very integral part of filmmaking. And this film does not have it. In this film, it's so frustrating. We see Javier Bartem's character killing random people, like, very, like, He's, like, shooting everyone. It's very, like, it's very gory and flashy. But then when it comes time to kill Josh Brolin's character, who is our main protagonist, it's never mentioned or talked about. Literally, there's, like, a scene of them walking together, and then the cuts for, like, a scene of Tommy Lee Jones and Kelly McDonald, and, like, it zooms up. We see Josh Brolin's body, but we don't see Javier Bartem kill him or anything, which is, like, what I was waiting for. I guess, um, I was expecting the three of them to have, like, a shootout at the end or something over the money, and there was just not that. I was really frustrated. Does Javier Bardem get killed? I don't remember. And then the film just ends. Like, um, Tommy Lee Jones is talking to his wife, and just ends. I was, mm, I was so frustrated I hated this movie. Okay. <laughs> I'd watched this one before Crash and thought it would be the lowest on the list, but I don't... Wait, it might, it might be third. Yeah, because the Hurt Locker is bad, too. Yeah, yikes. Okay. Um, also nominated that year was Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, and There Will Be Blood. Um, the movie did not deserve this at all. Um, you might think so. It does not. No. No, thank you. Um, I believe in Juno supremacy, but that just might be, uh, biased because I love Juno. I love the movie so much. It's so great. It does win, um, Best Adapted Screenplay, though. That, I mean, Best, um, Original Screenplay that year. Um, but Atonement and There Will Be Blood are also good options. I'm surprised Atonement didn't win because, like, wasn't that, like, a really big movie? It's like, Kieran, Joe Wright did it, which is great. Joe, um, <laughs> Kieran Knightley and James McAvoy are in it. There's, like, a big love story to World War II. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, the Academy is mostly male white viewers. I mean, male white voters. So that's unfortunate. Um, the film passes one out of the three of the on-screen diversity stars. Javier Bartem is um, Mexican-American? Is he Spanish? He's Latinx, I don't know. And it passes the overall diversity standards. So moving on. Okay. Hey everyone, it's me again. I'm still editing this episode and realized I didn't um, record any sort of ending to this episode because I wasn't sure if I was going to do one part or two parts. So it will be two parts. This episode is going to go up on February 28th, um, which is last Sunday in January. And then the second part will be the following week, which I think is March 7th. If I'm wrong, then it's either March 6th or Mar March 8th. I'm not sure. But yeah, so thank you so much for listening to this episode. I know it was a longer one. Um, I really enjoyed listening back to it. My, just my whole rant about Crash. I don't know. I find myself very entertaining. So um, I hope you all enjoyed and I'm actually really looking forward to, um, you know, listening back to my the rest of my thoughts on the other films because I feel like as we just continue, I have much more stronger opinions. Well, not stronger opinions, but I like more of the film. So I, even though I won't talk about them for as long as I talk about Crash for, um, just my, like, opinions on them are, I just, like, some of the films coming forward a lot more, so, yeah, um, thank you so much for listening, and I will see y'all next week. Bye!